Amen. Isaiah chapter 55 Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, before we uh, consider that passage as we are continuing in our series on Isaiah, I invite you please to join with me in prayer. Father, your word is more than just information. And your word is life and health and joy. And so as people who are thirsty and are hungry, we turn to you with mouths open, asking that you would fill them. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear your word, that your word would change us, that you would help me to speak your word faithfully, that especially in this time where we are feeling tried, that you would strengthen us and deepen our confidence in your love and in your gospel. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, and hopefully you were with us, last week we really, as we were looking at Isaiah 54, we were focusing on really one simple truth, and that is that the one of the great Christian privileges we have is the ability to live a life of joy. Because of what God has done for you, how he has loved you, because of what Christ has done for you, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you and I, who are followers of Christ, have been given the gift of joy. And I actually think that that is in some ways hard sometimes for us to hold on to. So because of that, we at times almost try to mute that by, by changing the definition of joy to make it a little bit easier to believe. And so last week I also clarified that 
that joy on one hand is not dishonest. It is not uh, something that we're able to have by just shutting our eyes at all of the challenges of life. As we said at the beginning, joy is a nevertheless. Yes, this is hard, and yet these things are true, and so we can have joy. And also, um, maybe this is kind of the flip side of this, joy is not just a state of mind completely apart from emotions. Yes, joy is more than an emotion. We know that oftentimes emotion is in some ways a function of our biology. If we've slept well, if we've had you know, a good meal, a good cup of coffee, we might be feeling better. And, and joy is more than just the euphoria you might get after a good run or a cup of coffee. And yet, it has an emotional component. The Bible speaks of our joy moving us into gladness, where it leads us at times into song or even shouting. If the joy, as you think of it, that you have never leads you to smile or even perhaps to laugh, then it is actually not the joy that the Bible is describing. And the third clarification as we were thinking through joy is that joy is actually something that we can choose. Not, not, not a choice where we just flick a switch, you know, turn that frown upside down, that, that kind of thinking. But it is something that's commanded, something that we can grow and cultivate. So that Paul will talk to the church about how he works to work with them for their joy. It is, joy is something actually that we can work towards. And, and so that's really what Isaiah 55 is about. It is about how we can pursue joy, this life of joy. But what I want us even to notice from the very outset, before we even think about some of the maybe more practical, is, is something that's very extraordinary in terms of the way our passage begins. Um, the ESV has the very first word, which is a hard word to translate, as come. And that's not exactly it. The, the, the word is... It's just a word of emotion. Oftentimes it's translated, oh. And we, we understand kind of what oh is like, like, oh, no, or oh, please, or oh, could you please do this? This oh ex expresses something that matters a lot to us. And, and what I want us to notice is this oh of longing is actually being spoken by God himself. God is the one who is speaking in these opening verses. And, and he doesn't just start with that, but do you notice there is a sense that he is actually, and this is remarkable, he is pleading. Come, everyone who thirsts. Oh, everyone who thirsts. Come, buy and eat. Come to the waters. Come, buy wine and milk. And then he even seeks to persuade, why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Do you, do you hear? There is a longing. There is a pleading that we hear actually from the God of the universe here. And what is he longing for? He is longing for our joy. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may, be, may live. He is wanting our joy. Like what we need to see from the outset is actually the God of the universe earnestly desires, he longs for us to experience joy. Now, on one hand, perhaps we might say, hey, that, that should be clear to us, it, it, because in some ways that's what our whole gospel tells us. But there is a way, I think, that we can actually tell our story wrongly. 
where we can imagine God as this almost stoic caretaker watching over the universe, and then he notices, oh, those humans, they've really messed things up. And so he goes and he decides that he needs to fix things by sending his son, and, and then things are running smoothly, and so he's back to kind of his stoic, placid demeanor. But that that's actually not in any way the way that Scripture speaks of things. God, first and foremost, is not a stoic God. He is a God who is overabundantly joyful. He has been eternally joyful. And and as he sees us in love and he sees the misery we've brought upon ourselves, he looks with compassion. And, and when he sends Jesus, when Jesus comes and gives everything, he gives everything for the purpose of us experiencing joy. Even here, if you look at when God is promising what happens as people come and eat and drink, he speaks beginning in verse 3 of, of these covenant, of the, the steadfast, this everlasting covenant, steadfast love for David. And he's speaking about the promises that he made to David centuries ago of how one day David would have a son whose kingdom would have no end, which would be glorious and beautiful. And what God is saying is that promise is going to be fulfilled. And of course, he's talking about Jesus here that Jesus will come and fulfill these promises and bring salvation. But notice when we see that future being described again at the very end of our passage, the way that God speaks of it. When, when God leads his people out of misery into this glorious kingdom, look at how it's described. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. In fact, that joy and peace will be so profound that as we move into this experience of salvation, the mountains will not be able to stop themselves from singing, and the trees will be clapping their branches in joy. And the point of this is salvation is this work of God bringing joy, because God desires our joy. And and here's, here's perhaps one of the most beautiful parts. Who is the R that, God's joy, that God desires? Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion. It's the wicked and the unrighteous. And we hear those words, and oftentimes I think we think of wicked wrongly, like something just like, you know, the, like the, the, the evil villains in, in any superhero movie. And, and I want to say, you know, wicked in the Bible is not, about bank robbers or, or evil tyrants or axe murderers. Wicked and unrighteous simply is the description of those who have chosen to go their own way instead of God's, who have chosen to decide what they think is good and to do that independently of God. It, it describes people who, as a result of this, are, are self-centered or prideful or, or petty or are short-tempered. It's, it's describing us apart from the work of God in our lives. And it is this group of people that God is pleading with. He's not saying, you've done so many good things. Let me give you a reward. He's saying, oh no, you who have made yourselves miserable, I, I want your joy. Please come and experience joy. I just want to pause and ask, even as we begin, is this how you think of God? That God is a joyful God who deeply desires our joy. Because let me say, if that's not how you think of him, and I think oftentimes it isn't, 
then you're going to think of joy as something that you just have to worry about yourself because it doesn't really matter to God. God doesn't care about emotions. He doesn't care about our joy. We'll just have to fight for it. And that's, that's really not what we're talking about here. Joy is something that God wants more deeply for us than we even want for ourselves. And joy is not something that we have to achieve. Joy is a gift that God has given us that he earnestly longs for us to take hold of. His call is to take this joy and make it our own. And, and the question that, of course, we ask as we hear that is how? What does it look like for us to take hold of this joy? And the answer is really simple. Scripture says, and this passage says, that the primary way for us to enter into this joy and make it our own is through listening. So, so we have this image at the very beginning where it's like God is, is at this kind of booth where he's offering, says, come to the water, come, I've got wine, I've got bread, come and satisfy your souls, eat and drink, which is a metaphor. And the, the question we ask is, so what does it actually mean for us to drink and to eat? And he gives us the answer to that right after. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. It could easily be translated, listen so that you eat what is good so that you delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. We enter into this joy. We take hold of it by listening, by, by opening ourselves up to the word of God and hearing it well. If there's one thing I want us to remember this morning, it is just this simple point. If you desire to experience the joy that God wants for you, it's about listening to him well. And for the rest of our time, I just want to consider what that means. I want to first think about why that is, and then think about how, how we are supposed to listen and when it comes to the question of why, why does listening, why is that the key to us being able to experience this joy that God has for us? The answer is that we find joy as we align our thinking and our ways to God's thinking and his ways. Which, if you just pause to think about it, it makes sense. God, we've already said, is this supremely happy joyful God. He knows the way of joy. His mindset, his life is joy. And as we align ourselves to him, as we are aligned to his thinking and his ways, that is the way that we experience joy. But the problem is right now we are, we are misaligned. So, so if you return again to, to verse 7, notice what God says, let the wicked, that's us, forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, let him return to the Lord. It is a calling to change our thinking and our ways so that we might be aligned with God. And the reason he says this is because our ways are different from his. Verse 8, my thoughts, that's God, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Your mindset, your actions, the way we do things naturally, God says, are not the same as mine. And it's not just a little bit different. So, so Jennifer and I, uh, 
Jennifer's my wife. When we cook, we cook differently. Jennifer is generally fairly careful to follow instructions, especially if it's the first time doing cooking. I kind of just go with the vibe, which sometimes is good, sometimes isn't. We have different ways of cooking, but but it's just like a little bit different, like a few inches different, you might say. Generally, the food either way is at least edible, usually pretty good. But God is saying that the gap between our ways and his are not just a few inches apart. Look at the next verse in verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's a big distance, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, now this is important because I think we, we tend to think that, that our natural instinctive mindset, now to be clear, I'm talking about apart from the work of the Spirit. When the Spirit starts working on us, things change. But, but the natural mindset that we have is generally right. That the natural way we have of doing things is generally the right way. And God is actually saying, no, no, that's that's not actually right. My way, you need to understand, we're actually deeply misaligned so that my ways are so much different from yours. They're as, as far away from your ways as the heavens are from the earth. And, and the New Testament actually exposes that all more clearly. Paul speaks of how the cross exposes the enormous gap. Because if you think about it, when Christ comes and he dies, God is saying, look, this is my glory. This is beautiful. This is good. And yet the world looks at the cross and says, this is ridiculous and shameful. And, and the reason we, we have such different perspectives is because we aren't aligned. Our, our natural disposition is to be self-protective. Whether we're ever honest with it or not, we are wired to seek first to be heard and understand, uh, understood rather than to hear and understand others. We seek first to receive, uh, to receive respect, to receive love before we are inclined to respect others, to love others. Because at, at the very heart of who we are is an insecurity where we feel like there is a scarcity where we have to fight for ourselves. That, that is our mindset and that is our way naturally. And so when Jesus comes and does what he does, the world, we do not have a category to understand what he's doing. He, he comes and he willingly humbles himself in every way. He comes and without any thought of taking, he gives and gives. Because what we see here is this is the way of God, the way of giving, because he stands not in fear and insecurity, but in confidence and a knowledge of the abundance of God's goodness. It is a dramatically different way. They, they are, are misaligned. And God says, as, as long as you go with your way, you are not going to experience the joy that I have, that I have for you. Back up to, to verse 2. God says, why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? God says, take stock of your life for a moment. Each of us are pursuing joy in our own way. He asks, how is that going? You, you spend your energy 
your time, everything you have towards some goal, and yet, when you have it, does it fill you? Does it satisfy you? How many of us have been driven at one time or another by this, this desire to be successful, to be respected, and we work and we strive, and then when we get some semblance of that success that we thought would fill us, it leaves us feeling a bit empty. Or how many of us have believed that if only we would be married, if only we would have a family, then things would feel full, and then when we experience those things, we find it actually much more complicated. Each of us have ways that we are not whole. And each of us have ways, things that we, we pursue where we believe if we had those things, that would be what satisfy. And yet again and again, we remain thirsty. We are eating that which is not bread. And God says to us, why do you keep doing this? Forsake your old way, your way of seeing things and acting and turn to me and let yourself be aligned with my mindset and my way of doing things and you will be made full and joyful. And, and to be clear, this isn't just this, this isn't just some sort of abstract or hypothetical way of describing things. We actually have at least one clear example in the New Testament in, in, in Paul. So if you know much about the Apostle Paul, you know that he has a very difficult life after he comes to Christ and, and starts being his missionary. And that's why he says at one point that he is sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. And there's this place in Philippians where, so at this point, Paul is writing to a church that he loves, trying to explain how things are going, and he is literally chained between two guards. And there is the possibility that he's going to be executed. And what's more, he knows that there are some Christians who, as they're planting churches, are kind of spreading bad word about him, making him look bad, and yet he says, you know what? I am rejoicing. Because you know what? These guys, I have a captive audience to hear Jesus, and now all these guards keep on hearing about Jesus. And those people who are kind of spreading a bad word about me, the more important thing is they're actually talking about Jesus, and people are coming to Christ. And I know whether I die or live, Jesus is going to do something great about this, and I will have joy whenever that happens. Because Christ will redeem me, and on the last day I will, I will rise, and I will be with Christ. Do you hear the mindset that he has? He has, in some ways, taken on the, the mindset of God, one of confidence, one where he delights in giving rather than taking. And in this changed mindset and way, he has joy. The nevertheless kind of joy, even in the midst of suffering. And if we were to ask him how, how he would say, because of God's word. Because the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation even to me. Because as I heard God speak to me, it changed me. And that's, that's what our passage says as well about the word of God. There is this illustration that we have near the end that talks about rain. If the rain from heaven comes down, 
Think of how powerful this rain from heaven can be. You can have these languishing plants, and then when rain comes, it gives them life. It allows them to grow. It gives them seed for the sower. It allows bread to be made. Rain, as it comes down, gives life. And God says, that's the way my word is. As it comes down from heaven to souls who receive it, it is life-giving. It has the power to transform us. To, to change the way we see things, to change the way we act, to, to align ourselves with God in such a way that we experience this life of joy. So as I conclude, we, you know, just in the last few minutes, I'd like us to even to consider how. If we are called to listen, if, if, if hearing God's word is the key to joy, how are we told to listen? And, and I want to highlight just three instructions, clarifications of what it means to listen well that our passage says. First, listening well to God involves a choice. So you might have noticed that opening verse, even though that first word I said is oh, not literally come, we still have this command repeatedly, come to the waters, come buy and eat, come by wine and milk. That, that idea of coming is this idea of taking an initiative. It's, it's the call to make a choice. Because, because listening to God is not something that will just happen passively. God is not going to, by force, make you to listen to him unwillingly. Do you remember uh, when we were looking at the servant songs, how it spoke of Jesus in chapter 42 as someone who does not shout, who does not make his voice to be heard. He does not force himself upon listeners. And, and we see that in the New Testament. When he comes and speaks, it's not like he's accompanied by a hundred strong of an angel guard saying, listen, there are not trumpets blasting whenever he speaks. He speaks in a kind of humility, oftentimes with parables that confuse because he's inviting people to ask questions. And even later on in Revelation, he says, behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone opens the door, he is calling people to make a choice. It is the easiest thing in the world to be exposed to God's word and yet not hear it. I can think of countless times, whether it's sermons or Bible reading, where I never truly was listening. Because to listen well involves a choice. And so it's perhaps even worth just pausing for a moment to ask ourselves the simple question, do, do I, do you want to hear God's word? Do you really want to hear it? Because if you don't, it's, it's really important for you to acknowledge that and recognize that and then move from there. It's not a bad starting point. But you should also realize that it is only as we come, it is only as we choose to hear that God renews us and brings us into this joy. So that's the first point, that, that we need to choose to be able to listen well to God. And the second one is, is kind of an extension of that, and that is to listen well to God involves effort. Notice, even as he speaks of listening, he says, listen diligently. Incline your ear. There's this idea of straining to listen. And then later on, different images kind of reinforce the same idea. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's not 
like hide and seek, looking for someone who's lost. That's the idea of pursuing, of, of exerting yourself to hear and to know God. It, it involves the idea of effort. Listening well takes our energy and focus and, and effort. And at least one of the reasons for this is every day you have hundreds of voices speaking at you. You have all sorts of things. There are the constant updates of social media. There is the fiery hot takes of, of cable news. There are the relentless notifications on your cell phone. There is the, the regular reminders of debts you need to pay as you receive bills. There is the, the soothing escapism of entertainment. Each of these in their own way are seeking to grab your attention and hold. And what we need to realize is that whatever you give your attention to is what will form you. That if we are not careful, we will be discipled by Twitter or Facebook or Fox News. And the thing is that as God speaks, he doesn't, we've already said this, he doesn't do it in a way that manipulates, that forces our attention. There is no clickbait. Jesus and 12 disciples had dinner, and you'll never know what happened. Guess what happened next? There's, there's nothing like that in the Bible, right? God, God simply speaks, and he speaks word that he accompanies with a promise. Listen, and you will eat well and take delight. And, and what it means for us is for us to hear, it will take, it will take our energy it will take our focus to hear this amongst all of the other sounds. It, it will involve first figuring out how not to let it be drowned out. All of these other things will be easier for us to listen. They are trying to manipulate us into hearing. And so we will need to find ways to not let those voices drown out the one voice we most need to hear. And, and what's more, it will, it will mean attention. It can be hard to listen. It can be hard at times to understand what God is saying in his word as he speaks to us in Christ. And so just a simple truth. If you need to ask yourself a question, what is your plan for being able to listen well? Because it's not going to happen accidentally. It will take thoughtfulness. It will take energy. If you don't have a plan, you will not be able to receive God's word in a way that can give you joy. So listening to God's word well involves effort. And then finally, and perhaps most uncomfortably, listening to God's word well means being willing to let go of things. I mean, this in some ways is the most obvious of the points because he himself says, let the, liquid, lick, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And remember, we have been told that there is an enormous gap between our natural way of thinking and being and God's, which means that, that God is going to be telling us that we need to change. He is going to be calling us into something different. And we're not good at this, especially in our day where we can choose to read whatever we want to read, whatever opinion. You know, so many studies have shown that we are most inclined to read and listen to the people that already most agree with us. And yet God is saying, if you're going to listen to me, you're going to hear things that are different. And it's going to be threatening. 
when uh, Tim, my oldest son, was probably about four, I remember him getting a splinter, and it was a really painful splinter, and he couldn't just pull it out himself. He needed help, and so he asked for our help, and we were wanting to, and yet at the same time, there was something that was very scary about us coming with tweezers, because of course, when you're pulling a splinter out, the, the very act of pulling it out is in and of itself painful. And so for a four-year-old, it was frightening, and yet the only way to be better was for him to let ourselves draw near and come and take that away from him. And I want to say that there is a way that you and I, each of us, have our own kind of splinters. There are ways that we have of seeing things. There are choices that we are making that are hurting us, that are keeping us from joy. And, and God is saying, I want to help you with that. And God, though this might feel threatening and fearful because we don't know how much pain it might mean for God to change us, I want you to understand what we've been saying from the very beginning, that as God draws near and he says, turn from your way and turn to me, this is not the stoic fixing. You have a God who knows joy, and you have a God who deeply desires your joy. And he is the one who says, come Open yourself up to me, listen to me, and let me change you that you might experience joy. So I want us even now to have a moment where we are 